Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School, Chicago. I hope and pray that the following message blesses you with peace and hope in Christ, who died and rose for you, for free. It is yours. If you'd like to support God's mission of giving life, hope, peace, joy, and love in the city of Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org. Peace. To the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In the name of Jesus, amen. Of all the uh, accounts of uh, the uh, allies rescuing liberation of the of France, of uh, the concentration camps, etc. One really, really struck me. I read a, a number of years ago. A woman wrote it, and she says that uh, she recounts she was in this barn, dark, dingy, smelly, smelled like death. Those already died, kind of in these, you know, laying, laying around, and it was women and children, and everyone else killed. And they've been kind of moved around, probably being snuck around as uh, the uh, Germans knew uh, that uh, it was all coming to an end and kind of hiding what they had done. So here they are in this barn. It is dark. It is smelly. Death is there. They're hugging one another, she says, and all you feel is, is bones, even though it might be a middle-aged woman. And as they were huddled together, not knowing what was next, suddenly... The door opened and a bright light shone in. And she said she saw a star, assuming at first it was just the, a German vehicle, but then she realized it was not. And a man came walking toward her with a smile and took the ladies and the the kids and everybody was left and started ushering them out. The war had ended. And the fear and the unknown had ended. And talk about liberation. To know you're not going to go and die soon, but there's now hope. And so she's talking about that experience, you know, that very few have had to be sort of totally lost and totally in a a helpless situation in the dark, literally and figuratively, and now a light, and now you know, and now you are free. But the thing that really, really caught her attention and just really affected her was not just that general act, but she still remembers this young man picking her up and taking her by the arm and opening the door for her and calling her ma'am. And she said it was the first time she'd been spoken to as a human being for the last five years. And it was words that she longed to hear and didn't know she missed so much. Liberation is what we're talking about today. 
That's a perfect example of liberation. Maybe you have your own in your life of being in a prison, in a darkness, and being freed. Jesus talks about it today. And he uses exactly that words, those words. He had just left the wilderness where he was uh, tested by the devil and fasted for 40 days, right? Before that, he was baptized. And so he comes in, and the first thing, uh, he immediately, uh, the end of, the, before today's account, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and he taught in their synagogues, and people were amazed. And Luke tells us he came to Nazareth. That's where he grew up, remember? And he comes there, and as was his custom, as he'd been doing, he went into the synagogue, just like we come to church on Sunday. You go, and you still do. If you have Jewish friends, you go on Saturday, you read some scriptures, and a rabbi or two comments on it, talks about it. And so Jesus gets there, it's the Sabbath day, and he stands up to read. He gets to read, and they give him a scroll. They didn't have it in this codex form. You'd have it a bunch of scrolls, and so they give him a scroll, and it's the scroll of Isaiah And he unfurls it. And he finds the place, he finds the place where it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, which means chosen. You do with oil, you pour the oil over the the king's head, the person's head to say, this is the one, listen to him. He's anointed me to... Proclaim good news to the poor. Who's the poor? Doesn't just mean those who can't, don't have a job or have no money or live in squalor. The poor can be anybody. You can have everything and yet be poor and destitute as you sit there and look at the grave itself, the end of your life. And all that you've collected is worth nothing. Poverty is real and poverty is financial, but poverty can be a poverty of family, of loneliness, of company, of meaning in life. There's many different ways to be absolutely without. And Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. So only captives get liberty, by the way. So the question is, are you captive? And recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he he reads this from Isaiah. You can read it yourself. He rolls up the scroll, and they knew these verses, and they had been saying these verses from since Isaiah wrote them about how a day was coming when a servant of Israel would free Israel. But even more than that, as you can see here, free humanity from the chains of illness and death, mortality, from the chains of our actions toward one another in many different ways that we oppress one another from sin itself, etc. I mean, Israel knew these verses and they were looking for a day that, that the fall, that Eden would be restored. That what's messed up in the world would be fixed. And, and God's going to do that one day. And so he reads this scripture that they read all the time and then he rolls up the scroll, he gives it back to the attendant and he sits down. That's what 
you do before you teach back then. Everybody else is standing, and he sits down, and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he says something that you better be right about to say this. You better not say this and be wrong. He says, today, this scripture, what I just read, has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, and this is very important, Jesus is saying he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, not just Isaiah, but the time of restoration. The end times, one might say, the last day, that Jesus is it. There's nothing else coming. He is the one, the rescuer, the liberator, and the times of plenty and the times of joy and release and freedom from captivity have come, and he is the one who's going to do it. Pretty bold. Again, you better be right to say this, or you're the worst possible person. You're a liar, traitor, you're you're the devil. So Jesus says this, and they're staring at him, and they all spoke well of him. Because he had been kind of doing some things and speaking with authority. I mean, they, they liked this. And they marveled at his gracious words. I love how it says this. The gracious words that were coming from his mouth. That phrasing that Luke uses, kind of water, the font, a feeding, a dry garden. And then they said, is not this Joseph's son? And Jesus hears this, and this is the response. He said, well, doubtless you're going to quote to me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. What, are, what we've heard you do in Capernaum, Jesus, because he'd been doing miracles before in Capernaum, do here. And then he says this, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, but in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but to Zarephath. And they rose up and they tried to kill him. What the heck's going on here? It started out so good. Jesus talking about liberation and the people of Israel and the, the people of his hometown were quite excited, but then they said, This is Joseph's isn't this Joseph's son. Now I used to think that what what that was all about was it's hard to believe if you grew up with a kid that he's the Messiah. Does that make sense? Was that what you're thinking? You know what I mean? Like, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, wait, 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 wait. This can't be the guy. Because we know him. He's not very good at basketball, you know. (laughs) He got a B plus in social studies, you know what I mean? But that's not the problem. They weren't saying that. Jesus makes it really clear they weren't thinking like that. What they were thinking was, we know him. We can control him. He can benefit us. And Jesus is quite upset that that's how they're thinking. Small, by the way. And for them, to use him so that they too can have great things and not big. Understand that? Do we do that? There was a a popular uh, 
trend called liberation theology. Ever hear of this? Liberation theology in the 60s, mostly South America, and it was kind of connected to uh, Marxist um, you know, thinking of, uh, of uh, like I said, mostly South America, but really permeates throughout the world, uh, a Roman Catholic trend. Uh, again, back in the 60s, not necessarily popular now, although I think it's got its influence. So liberation theology was... The goal of Jesus and the goal of the church is to change governments and to, as Jesus says, I mean, I understand where they're coming from, to liberate those who are oppressed. That would be the gist. And actually today there's churches that think that's the goal, is to liberate those who are oppressed. And by oppressed, they simply think, see, just like the townsfolk of Jesus, they think very small-minded. It's not bad what they're thinking, but they are very limited. So the oppressed for them, anybody who's a Marxist, is politically, right? Or economic. That's the only thing you see, right? And so Christians in South America, and mostly a Roman Catholic deal, they understood that Christianity and Jesus is about changing a political situation so minorities are lifted up or the the poor are lifted up. And that's what Christians should do, liberate the oppressed. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of that, by the way. But it's very small-minded. If that is what the Bible and what Jesus' death and resurrection is, is to change political outcomes, to improve economic. I'd say conservatives do this in different ways as well. Jesus was a capitalist. Jesus was a socialist. And this is the best way. He could care less about these things. But that's what is understood, liberating the oppressed. So, So therefore, you'll hear some Christians talk like this, not too far from here. Especially when you stop reading this and you create your own Jesus like the people of Nazareth to do what you want him to do. The goal of Jesus is anytime anybody's oppressed, we should help them and make their life better. Now that sounds good and that in of itself is fine. By the way, that's what Christians do do. But some would say that's Christianity and that's Jesus It's political oppression or economic oppression and changing it around. Sounds good, but it's so small-minded. And again, fine for governments or political ideology. Not saying there's anything wrong with that. Because the funny thing is, if that's what Christianity is, political or economic, liberating people. It doesn't really ever work. (laughs) Uh, For for example, you know, there's never a time when when someone within a culture or a community or ethnicity has never, has not been an oppressor. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, let's see here. The people that founded America were people who were oppressed in Europe frequently, right? And they come here to escape that oppression, to be liberated. But guess what? We know what happens. They become part of perhaps the oppression of the Native American and pushing them out. You'll see stuff like, um, uh, I was listening to a BBC interview with uh, um, talking about and with scholars in India uh, who were referring to the Churchill days in, during World War II. And I didn't know anything about this. It's kind of fascinating how Churchill really let down India by letting them starve, quite frankly. Anybody know about this? It's kind of sad, terrible. And they kind of talk about the classic cliche ethnic 
uh, you know, superiority and the European or the English and the Indian, et cetera. And I'm listening, it's very interesting, very intriguing, and also very true. And then I realize while they're kind of complaining about how bad England is, aren't you the people that have the caste system and the untouchables? You know what I mean? You're guiltless when it comes to oppression. You could go on and on, or the Japanese internment camps, how terrible it was that we oppressed them and put them there. Again, no right or wrong, perhaps wrong, shouldn't have done that. Perhaps ethnic, perhaps racist, because we're thinking of Japan. But it's not like the same Japanese people were oppressing the Chinese in World War II. My point is, it doesn't end. In fact, many people got excited about Napoleon coming into the continent to liberate. How'd that work out? And people got pumped about Lenin who came to liberate the poor and how'd that work out? Or quite frankly, Adolf Hitler too. Lots of liberators liberated only to become the oppressor. It doesn't stop if the goal of Christianity is simply political liberation or economic, which is again fine in the small world, sure, then we would never be done because in the end, even, even Victor Frankl says in his wonderful book, A Man's Search for Meaning, everybody need to read that, great psychologist who was in the concentration camp, lost his wife, people dying all around him, of course, and this great book, he talks about how in this concentration camp where people are oppressed as oppressed could be, and one might say everyone might even had a camaraderie of being oppressed, he said some found a pecking order still and ended up betraying their own Jewish fellow prisoners to get ahead. No surprise. Because the enemy of humankind is you. It's humankind. And you can chase it all you want, but you'll continue, it'll continue, and it'll continue. There is sin, and it is deep. And in our own personal lives, we oppress with words and deeds. We are in a, we're slaves to sin, Jesus says is deeper than a political system or economic system. And those things you will can fix and you should do your best, but you're never going to totally. Christ has not come to be some small patriarchal or a patriarchal parochial king and savior of a small ideology. He has come to liberate the oppressors, you and me and the oppressed. He has come to liberate humanity from something far greater than an economic or social or political system, but to liberate us from sin and to free us from the chains of our disposition to do wrong, let alone free us from the chains of getting what we deserve. And he came to do it not through Napoleonic cannons or force-feeding it or violence, but to receive violence on himself. People probably were amazed that this Jesus liberator goes and lets himself be enchained and even placed by the hands of others on a cross. Nailed, talk about oppressed. He is the only one that can say he is not an oppressor and fully and truthfully un, un, and totally unlawfully oppressed on the cross but he did it voluntarily for 
you, to set you free from your guilt and shame of being an oppressor. It will be not held against you. You will not pay for the crimes against humanity you're guilty of, and you are. Christ did. You're free. God loves you. And if that chain wasn't enough, he has liberated us from the chain of death. You're going to rise again. Those two promises, you are forgiven, it will not be held against you, and you will rise again, liberate greater than any other thing you could possibly do or give to someone. You tell someone like that, they can be in chains and still feel free in the mind. They can be in a prison and still know they are free in Christ because ultimately nothing can stop them and it's going to be okay. That's the liberation that Jesus has accomplished and that's the liberation that the church should be speaking about and nothing else to broken down people in prisons of their own shame and sin or their own fears of death. Those are the words we've been given to preach and to teach and to remove the shackles of what really oppresses that particular human being. I hope you feel that and feel liberated in Jesus, forgiven and have new life. So when you've sinned and when you have that shame, you remember Jesus' words, you are free and forgiven. And when you are scared because you're at the grave or you get the doctor's call, it's going to be okay. May that give you life. And may St. James remain focused, not like the people in Nazareth, and let Jesus do his thing among us and in this city. In Jesus' name, amen.